Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. Congratulations, everyone, on reaching the end of 2022. This was quite a year. For me, it was a big year for science and Star Trek. Emerging from my pandemic shell, in April, I gave my first ever science talk at a Star Trek convention to seek out new life, the astrobiology of Star Trek at Star Trek Mission Chicago. In June, I made that talk public for a worldwide audience through the Carnegie Institution for Science's Neighborhood Lecture, which was a completely virtual event that included a panel of other Carnegie scientists talking about how their research also connects to ideas in Star Trek. In March, I was on Science Friday, the NPR show, talking about looking for life in the universe. And in November, I was a part of Science Friday's Sun Camp, answering questions about space from kids. I also joined my friends on the Infinite Diversity podcast to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3 finale. And if you missed any of these other events, I've put links to all of them in the show notes. I also attended six scientific conferences in 2022, the NASA Enigma Astrobiology Symposium, the Astrobiology Science Conference, an intensive month-long Earth Sciences workshop in UC Berkeley, the Artificial Life Conference, the NASA Hubble Symposium, and the American Geophysical Union Meeting, which I'm here to tell you a little bit more about today. AGU is the annual pilgrimage for many Earth and planetary scientists, some 20,000 strong. And I'm one of the loyalists. I've only missed a single AGU in the past 13 years. This year, it was held in frigid Chicago. But even the biting wind and icy streets couldn't quash the warmth of seeing so many scientists whom I love and admire. My philosophy towards AGU has morphed over the years. It used to feel like a high-stakes affair. So many connections to make, so much knowledge to seek, so many people to impress. Or at least not look like a fool in front of. I remember as a graduate student shaking with terror before my first ever AGU talk. The only thing, honestly, that was standing between me and disintegrating into a puddle of stress was my calm and collected office mate, Pushkar Kaparla. Nothing could phase that man, not even my violent, nervous jitters. You know, I've learned so much from Pushkar over the years, but perhaps the most important of all is the subtle art of taking science just seriously enough, but not too seriously. If you're burnt out from networking at a conference, take a break in your hotel room and watch a baking show. Just chilling out can do you a mountain of good. Now, before I forget, you can hear Pushkar's tranquil voice yourself by revisiting episode 34 of Strange New Worlds, Polarize the Hole Plating. Anyway, these days at AGU, I'm much more relaxed. Maybe because I've been around the block once or twice, but mostly because I've consciously made AGU my just-for-fun conference. I know that it's far more effective for me to dole out my latest scientific results at more focused gatherings like astrobiology or planetary science conferences. So at AGU, I try to do something outside the box. 
This year, I gave a talk about the societal implications of redefining what an Earth-like planet means. A few years ago, I even talked about this very podcast as a science communication tool. Making my contribution to this enormous conference as low stakes as possible lets me focus my attention on what really matters—the people. It was so important to spend time in person with colleagues and students whom I work with and advise weekly over Zoom. It meant everything to watch Maddie, Jalen, and Kayla impress scientific audiences with their talks and poster presentations. Watching my students work so hard and grow as scientists under the supervision of myself and their co-advisor, soon-to-be Dr. Danica Adams, has been one of the greatest privileges I have ever known. Our students amaze me week in and week out with their questions, their insights, their drive to succeed, and their genuineness that they bring to the scientific endeavor. Now, I know they think they're lucky to work with me, but honestly, I am so lucky to be working with them. They give me a reason to keep going, to learn new things, to challenge myself to be better. You know, I believe that there comes a time in your career when you realize that the most inspiring people in your academic life are no longer your teachers and mentors, but your students and mentees. And I think the biggest thing that I learned at AGU 2022 was that that time is here for me. Let me tell you about the best talk I saw at AGU this year. It was given by my friend and colleague Dr. Morgan Cable from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Morgan is developing ways to detect life on icy moons of the outer solar system, like Enceladus. That's the tiny moon of Saturn whose jets spray into space water from its subterranean ocean, a possible abode for extraterrestrial life. Could there be molecules in those plumes that betray the presence of exobiology? Well, by flying through Enceladus's plumes, NASA's Cassini spacecraft found tantalizing evidence for complex organic molecules. But that craft's capabilities weren't quite good enough to know if those molecules indicated life. So recently, Morgan and her colleagues have devised the optimal speed that a future spacecraft looking for biosignatures would want to travel through those plumes. The reason you can't go too fast is because High-impact speeds will fragment large molecules into small ones when they impact the spacecraft's detector. It's kind of like smashing a fully-built Lego set into its tiny building blocks. Those building blocks alone may be insufficient to know what kind of structure they were originally a part of, whether they came from a living molecule or not. Now, the reason that you can't go too slow through the plumes is because the identification of molecules relies on them becoming ionized upon encountering the spacecraft's detectors. Ionization is the liberation of electrons from the molecule. So it's not tearing the molecule into shreds, but just gently bumping off an electron to give that molecule a tiny positive charge. If your craft is going too slow, ionization just won't occur. 
So you see, there's this Goldilocks speed where you're fast enough to ionize the molecules so that you can tell what they are, but not too fast that you fragment them into smithereens. Through a series of innovative lab experiments and computer modeling, Dr. Cable and her team discovered that that Goldilocks speed is 3 to 6 kilometers per second, which is slower than Cassini's plume fly-through speed of 7 to 17 kilometers per second. This is the kind of valuable information that space agencies need to design their next missions to hunt for signs of life on Enceladus and other worlds in our outer solar system. Hearing Morgan's talk made me think of the opening credits of Star Trek Voyager, where we see that intrepid-class spacecraft gracefully gliding through a blue-green cloud of gas. I imagine Voyager is using its impressive sensor arrays to study that nebular material, and that it is flying precisely at the right speed, as devised by Morgan Cable et al.'s analysis, to understand the chemical composition of that gas. If you want to learn more about Morgan and her research, just visit episodes 30 and 86 of Strange New Worlds, where she made phenomenal guest appearances. Now let me tell you about the best poster I saw at AGU. This one was by my friend and colleague Dr. Preston Kemeny, whom I went to grad school with at Caltech and is now a postdoc at the University of Chicago. Preston and his colleagues put together a provocative poster for a science and society session in which they argued that the evolution of many academic structures mirrors the evolution of biological structures. What does that mean? Well, just as we inherit biological features that were once upon a time chance mutations in the germline, academics inherit traditions that may once upon a time have simply been some department chair's whim. In biology, we call this phenomena frozen accidents. Our genetic code written in DNA, for instance, may be one such frozen accident. Maybe there is a more effective molecule for encoding biological information than DNA, but early life evidently never stumbled upon it, and now we'll never ever make a switch away from DNA because so much of life's machinery has been built around that molecule. So this poster of Preston's asked the audience at AGU to consider what might the frozen accidents of academia be. Are any of them non-ideal practices, and of those, which ones can we try to undo? In other words, if you replayed the tape of academia again, would we still get oral qualifying exams, anonymous peer review, tenure for faculty members, and conferences that serve alcohol? Now, the most interesting thing about this poster was that passersby could vote on whether or not certain aspects of academia should be kept by putting check marks onto the poster. And it was fascinating to see how almost everyone wanted to abolish journal publication fees. 
but AGU was split 50-50 about whether or not letters of recommendation should be requested for job applications. This poster really got me thinking about science as a social endeavor. And as conscious agents, we have a responsibility to fix systems that make science inequitable. And all of that starts with identifying what those are. My mind now turns to Starfleet and begins to wonder to what degree structures in that fictional Star Trek organization also suffer from contingent events in its history. The entrance exam that Wesley Crusher takes in the TNG episode Coming of Age, for instance, was particularly brutal. Is that really the best way to choose who gets into Starfleet Academy? From the Kobayashi Maru to the Prime Directive, I hope that Starfleet is constantly rethinking and reevaluating everything that it does. And I hope that when it discovers that a certain practice is outdated or problematic, it'll have the courage to repeal it. Personally, my wish is that we'll get to see a little bit more of this in Strange New World Season 2, where Captain Pike must question Starfleet's hard-line stance against genetic engineering, especially when it comes to the Illyrians and Number One. Captain Patel. I didn't think we'd be seeing each other so soon. I know, Captain. And for the record, I'm sorry about this. What the hell is going on? Under Starfleet Code of Conduct 587.63, I am arresting Commander Unichin Riley for violations of our anti-genetic modification directive. She's an Illyrian, Chris. I don't care what she is. She's I don't like it either. I have orders. <laughs> Captain! Don't. I've known this might happen for years. I didn't ask for this job. I really am sorry. So am I. Because this isn't over. Energize. Oh man, I don't know about you, but I am so looking forward to 2023. There will be so much great Trek and so much great science to talk about. So, with that, happy holidays, everyone, and thanks as always for listening in. Until next year, stay safe, stay curious, and I'll see you out there.